What's up everyone, this is Mark Kenyon with Wired to Hunt and back today with another episode of the 100% Wild Podcast. And on this show, on this episode, joining me and Matt is Terry Drury. Always a wealth of information, we're excited to have him with us and uh, we tackle a listener question about the different phases of the hunting season. You know, this question was talking in particular about um, you know how the Drury's refer to in their in their show thirteen about these thirteen different phases, but we also talk about this in a more general level, just about how the deer hunting season changes, how deer behavior changes as you go out throughout the fall. So, very interesting conversation. I'm going to stop rambling now and just let you get right to that previously recorded interview. Enjoy. All right, welcome to another episode of the 100% Wild Podcast. I'm Mark Kenyon with Wired to Hunt. And with me on the other side of the internet is my good buddy, Matt Drury. How are you? I'm good, buddy. How are you? It's like, it's been ages, it's it been, feels like, since we, we got together and did one of these. I know, it's been a little too long, but I'm doing well. And uh, I hear we've got a superstar with us on the line today, too. Something like that. <laughs> uh, what's the star as it's burning out? What's that star called? Oh, gosh, yeah, the black star, the black hole is when it kind of <laughs> vacuums in on black itself. Right? <laughs> we have Dad on the line. We have Terry Drury. The man, the myth, the legend, old man winner. He needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him a great one anyways. What's up, Silver Fox? How much? How you guys doing? Good We're to good. see you, too. We're good. We're good. Glad you can join us for this. Yeah, we got we got up early this morning just so we could make this. We uh, actually went out and hunted this morning, so we were up really, really with the chickens this morning. How was uh, the movement? Pitch black. Movement was pathetic. <laughs> I don't mind telling you. And because we've had such warm weather and finally got a little bit of a cool front pushed in, we decided or elected to hunt a few mornings, a couple mornings. The other morning, we had a tremendous morning where we saw a lot of deer and the timber, and we thought, wow, we must be missing it if we're not hunting. So we went again this morning, and it was absolutely horrendous. We didn't get skunked, but we did see one single lone doe. So it was, it was not worth getting up. It's funny, Mark, because we have a group text message between uh, all the cast members of 13 mm -hmm. and all of our producers, our camera guys. And so we give uh, an update and it's really for the producer, the editor in the studio to kind of keep track as the season's going on what's happening, you know, yeah. so on and so forth. So, uh, you know, Terry had sent or Michael, one of the two, Michael's Terry's camera guy. They had sent a text uh, the other day that said they hunted mornings. So. We were out hunting yesterday evening, and my camera guy said, "Boy, I, you know, I saw that Terry's already hunting mornings." I said, "Yeah, I go, I go. He, Mike, Michael must have did something wrong, and he's and he's punishing him because it's pretty <laughs> it's pretty early in the year for this." <laughs> That's funny. It was it was strictly because of a cold front, uh, because it's been so warm, just brutally warm. We've had hit heat indices of you know upper 90s, low 100s. And we finally got that cold weather pushed in, and we thought, you know what, let's try it. Let's try some mornings, and and mostly because the moon phase. You know, the moon was rising later and later and later, and then it finally was setting in the mornings, which is what I absolutely live for, those setting moons in the morning. So that was the reason we went out. I've got a tremendous acorn crop this year, first time in four or five years that I've had a good mass crop of white oak acorns, and, and we just got a wild hair and said, let's try it. And we saw 19 deer in the timber that morning. So, I, you know, we had a tremendous set. Uh, didn't see any big rack deer, but we had a really, really good set and, and thought, you know what, let's try it again today. Uh, but it backfired. Didn't work. Have you guys sat any evenings in the timber? Have you sat, you know, and had any good movement in timber sets during the evenings? 
No, I haven't, Matt. You know how we are about intrusion. I just feel so weird walking into the timber in the evenings like that, uh, that, uh, you know, we've mostly been on food plots in the evenings. Gotcha. Hmm. Although you see the deer, they're, they're right on the edges. You know, we had a deer the other night that was sitting right on a creek, creek bank, you know, they gobble up those acorns down in the bottoms then they'll hop up top and they may or may not come out onto the food plot, but it was really, really slow, just very, very lethargic movement. Bummer. Well, speaking of all this kind of stuff, the the movement, how things are changing with all these different factors, weather, the time of year, this kind of fits right into what our question of the day is about. Um, so I don't know, Matt, do you want to just hop right into that since we're kind of segueing nicely into it? Absolutely. Hey, guys. My name's Ryan Greathouse. I'm from LaGrange, Georgia. And my main question is how relative are the 13 phases to location? And I ask because I have two properties, one on the south end of the county, one on the north end of the county. And on the south side, it seems that the deer are on that same trajectory of the 13 phases for you guys. And it seems that the deer on the north end, it seems like they're a couple of weeks behind because it, from what I've been able to tell they shed their velvet a couple of weeks later does seem to drop phones a couple of weeks later and i was just wondering if it would make sense to maybe start the 13 phases a week or a week and a half two weeks later for that type for for that particular property all right so uh so Terry, what do you think about that? I think it's a pretty good question. I feel like you guys probably get similar questions on this topic. We do. And, and I do think it's a good question and I do think it's relative. Uh, I would be somewhat surprised if it was, you know, different from one end of a County to another, but it is relative to latitude and longitude. Uh, it's also relative to when, you know, firearm seasons kick in because so much of the breeding cycle and even the, uh, you know, when they start to have their fawns, all of that, I think, is very, very indicative of when those when those firearm seasons kick in. So I could I could see that particularly latitude and longitude. I think it, it changes very drastically and we adjust it slightly, you know, a day here, a day there, depending on moon phase. You know, the moon really has a, a strong, strong effect when it comes to you know, that, that birthing period and uh, when the rut kicks in along with those firearm seasons. So it, it's a sliding scale. There is, it's not the final word. It's not black and white. It's not definitive. It's quite gray, actually. But these were, you know, many, many years of observation in the Midwest. So I can see it varying quite a bit to a northern region or a southern region, particularly down in Georgia. What I would be surprised if is if it varies that much from one end of a county to another. Although, depending on the deer density, what kind of buck to doe ratio it is from one end of the county to the other, you know, whether there's tillable, whether there's timber, whether it's forest ground, you know, what kind of crops are around it, is it close to a residential area, you know, what kind of intrusion. So there's a number of factors that may enter into that. But we really, really do slide that scale a little bit. It may only be a day or two. It's not quite two weeks. Uh, but it can range that far from the northern part of the United States down to the southern part of the United States. So I think it's a very, very valid question. 
Uh, I would give it another few years of observation and which he sounds like Ryan sounds like he's already done that. It sounds like he's really been watching it. So uh, I appreciate that. The fact that he's watched it that closely, it's cool that he notices that. Uh, and I'm going to answer him by saying, yes, it can slide a little bit. I'd be surprised if it was as much as two weeks in, in from one end of a county to another. But it's a great question, and we do see it. It is relative, uh, so it's a substantiated question. I would continue monitoring it and see if it changes slightly. One thing to add to that, Mark, you know, because I get emails like this all the time through the website asking about this. And, um, you know, of course, you got regions like Florida where, you know, we just did some research for a project that we're working on for 2018. And, and so I got a little more familiar with it. And I know, Mark, you, you've done a lot of this type of research for an article that mm -hmm. you wrote. But it, like a state like Florida, for instance, there were like 10 different uh, peak estrus um, dates and they ranged from, you know, I don't recall exactly, but it was like November all the way through February. It was all over the board throughout that state. And, you know, one of the reasons uh, I had heard and whether it's true or not, I don't know. But one of the reasons I had heard on a theory of why that is in that state is because so many deer were um, brought in to try to, you know, increase the herd or, or, or yeah. introduce a herd in areas down there. And so, um, who, who knows, you know, Georgia, I don't, to Der Terry's point, I don't know that it's as extreme as Florida, but there are some of those States like that. Now, one thing that Mark always says, Mark Drury always says, cause when I get this email, you know, he, he, he kind of taught me as, as I send his reply on all these people email and asking us in Missouri or in, in Midwest, in the Midwest, he always says, uh, more or less that peak estrus, so the peak of lockdown is in and around that November 13th date. And, and Terry, correct me, you know, if I'm wrong here. Uh, but basically, if you wanted to slide your scale, you would figure out and maybe talk to your local conservation agents or your local biologists or or whatever, and do a little research to Terry's point. But find out when that peak estrus date is in your area. And it may only be a couple days from there. It might be, you know, a week away from that November 13th date. But then for us, that is phase seven lockdown. That's the middle of, of the season, middle of the, that phase. So you would say your peak estrus is November 24th. You would slide all of the 13 phases, you know, to the right to that November 24th period. Uh, Terry, is that more or less kind of the gist of what Mark Drury saying there? Yes, exactly. That's exactly what he's saying. And in addition to that, the way we arrived at some of these things and the way that uh, we've seen the variation is because of so many of the different firearm seasons. You know, Iowa's is different than Kansas. Kansas is different than Illinois. And I do think that the firearm season has had a, a really, really strong effect when it comes to breeding and birthing uh, because of when those firearm seasons kick in, you know, it seems like those those ruts occur at a little bit different time period for each individual state, particularly here in the Midwest. Uh, in addition to that, you know, we have so many different subspecies of whitetail. Uh, and I don't know if it's 25, 26, 27 subspecies, which is, is part of the problem as well. Not, not all deer are created equal. You know, we see a variation from a Texas, Florida deer to a Minnesota, Wisconsin deer. There's a wide, wide variation with you know, all the Midwest mixed in between. So I do think that has a, a bearing on it too, but that is the easiest way to try and determine what it is for your area is using the peak of that estrus 
verse in, in addition to that lockdown period. Whenever the peak of the estrus hits, you're going to see those big bucks disappear. Typically, they're locked down with those available estrus does and then just back it up or slide it one way or the other. And, and we and we tell everybody pretty much that same scenario. And peak of estrus is different than peak of chasing or peak of, yeah. you know, like I think there's a mis, misnomer there. Everybody, especially when we were doing our research, I got a lot of responses that were, yeah, I see the most chasing, you know, the ninth through the 12th or whatever. It's like, okay, that's good to know. When, it, when do you see the least amount of movement? You mm-hmm. know, when's that period? And I think that's what, you know, what, what we're looking for when we, when we look for peak estrus. Yeah. You know, to our point, it's the reason right now that Mark's down in Texas you know, they're behind us on their phases. So here we are, we're going into that October lull. And it seems as though, because we've been hunting here quite a bit lately, it seems as though our lull is hitting a little bit early this year, a few days earlier than normal, uh, which could be indicative of the weather and, and a number of other factors. But that's the reason Brother Mark heads to heads to Texas where that period hasn't hit down there yet. So uh, it works out quite well in the fact that if you, if you broaden your horizons and you want to travel a little bit, you know, it's easy to range from north to south and try and hit this, hit this, these phases at different time periods. So uh, he figured that out quite a while back. So he's down there bopping one. Miss Taylor bopped one yesterday. Wow. You mentioned a second ago how the moon can cause you to slide the phases, um, even there in the Midwest where you guys kind of developed this. Can you just can you give a little more detail with that? So how does that change things? Maybe we can talk about this year as an example and, and the moon position or timing or whatever it is that you're paying attention to there tremendous question mark and i'll tell you why this year the moon phase lines up pretty doggone well meaning we're going to have a rising moon that's waxing full and coincides with their normal feeding pattern at the end of october and i'm going to say the last week in october we then have a setting moon that will will then be waning the first 10 days of November. And I love a rising moon the last 10 days of October, and I love a setting moon the first 10 days of November. So I truly believe that it's lining up extremely well, and I'm going to call that normal. If we could get normal every year, I would be one happy hunter. Last year, conversely, it was so upside down and wrong, it wasn't even funny. Even though we had a great season, we killed a lot of deer, uh, it was a really, really terrible moon, meaning it was rising when it should have been setting, and it was setting when we were wishing that it would have been rising. It was really, really bad, and we, we just happened to get lucky last year, hunted some cold fronts, and we killed some pretty good deer, but the moon was was really way wrong. So it was 180 degrees out from last year to what it is this year. And, uh, you know, the best the best way I can explain it to the average hunter is that it rises in the east, it sets in the west, just like the sun does, and when it coincides with their normal feeding patterns, and the last 10 days of October, whenever they're up on their feet and they're hitting those green fields, whether it be clover or biologic or even some late, late beans, if you've got them, that's unusual, but uh, usually biologic, clover, oats, wheat, rye, if you've got it, in the last 10 days of October, when you have a rising moon, those windows are very, very sharp. You're lucky to get two or three evenings that are optimum, meaning the perfect time. And likewise, conversely, in the mornings, the first 10 days of November, when you have a setting moon and it coincides when they're normally going back to bed 
and it's just a little bit later, it keeps them up on their feet just a little bit later, meaning during daylight hours. In lieu of them getting back to bed at 5, 5.30, 5.45, or 4.30 in the mornings, it holds them up there a little longer where you see 7.30, 8, 8.15, 8.30, and that's exactly what we're looking for. This year, that moon is really, really, uh, I'm going to call it normal again. It's really correct. Last year, it was way out of whack. So, so, so Terry, tell me if this is a correct way to kind of think about all of this as, as I'm hearing what you're saying about the phases and the moon and everything. It sounds like the phases, you know, as, as we talked about already, you're going to set those phases based on your peak ester state. But then outside factors like the moon or like temperature, that can either kind of um, dampen or elevate the activity you might see during that phase. So, for example, maybe you know, phase five or six, when you're expecting to see this pre-red activity ramping up, if all of a sudden you get warm weather or a bad moon, it might dampen your expectations of what you see there. And then on the other side, let's say phase one, if we end up getting, you know, this tremendous cold front coming through, let's say that might elevate the action you'd expect to see on phase one. So it's not necessarily like it changes where the phases are, but it just either elevates or, or brings down the action based on these factors. Is that right? You're absolutely correct, Mark. That's perfect, perfect scenario the way you described it. Because all it does, it you know, the rut happens each and every year, happens typically about the same time of the year, depending on what state you're hunting in. All it does is it exposes different phases of that rut, meaning more of it may happen during normal daylight hours than would happen at night. You know, those warm temperatures, you know, oftentimes that rut occurs at night, you don't even see it. If you're you know, if your temperatures are way above normal or above average, all of that rut activity happens at night. They're very lethargic. They don't, you know, you don't see that all out rut running, chasing activity. It's just a little more subdued when you get temperatures. And, and again, temperature trumps everything. You know, if you get cool weather, or cold temperatures where it's below normal or below average temperature, you're going to see a lot of it exposed, meaning those does head to a food source. Those bucks aren't far behind. They follow. There's just much more activity exposed during daylight hours when you have the colder temperatures. Again, if the moon is correct and it lines up uh, and also with the temperature, that's the optimum. That's the ultimate. And, and it exposes different phases of the rut, even though those 13 phases happen each and every year. It just exposes it during daylight hours. Yeah. I, I think last year was a perfect example. Uh, the October lull, you know, which is what we're currently in right now. The October lull last year, we had that moon perfect, which is what you were saying. It was totally 180 out of when you expect it or when you want it to be, you know, uh, getting that full moon. But that happened right there during the October lull. And Mark and Taylor capitalized on that with two, you know, deer of a lifetime uh, in, in a period where we usually don't see hardly any movement. And it was along with a little temperature differential. And that's one thing, Correct. even though the temperatures may be above normal or above average, if you get a slide where it drops 10 to 15 degrees, by all means, you got to hunt those fronts. And, and we did that last year. We got lucky and, and killed some pretty doggone good deer. Mark and Taylor did kill two deer of a lifetime. Uh, he was on, on a frosty morning there that uh, uh, killed, killed an absolute giant, and so did she, the biggest deer of her life. But we, we hunted those little bitty cold fronts, and I'm going to say temperature differential. Uh, that's just as important as that moon phase, but it exposes those phases of the rut that happen uh, each and every year. So if you get it, you're lucky, man, you got to hunt them, you know, as a, let's say a blue collar guy that's working, you know, and trying to plan a little mini vacation or a three or four day weekend. If he looks out 15 days ahead or two weeks out and you see that there's going to be a cold front by all means, hop in a tree or hop in a stand and, uh, and try and hunt them. 
Yeah, take advantage of it. Now I've got one other question on the moon. Uh, we've talked about this a handful of times with you and Mark, and I, you always talk about, as you mentioned earlier, the rising and setting coinciding with that typically prime time deer activity at the last hour of daylight or the first hour in the morning. Um, but another aspect of the moon that some other people talk about a lot is your overhead and underfoot time period. So when the moon is directly overhead or directly underfoot, and some people have seen increased activity with that, um, is that something you've ever seen as well? Another good question, Mark. Yes. It, it, you know, it's easy to sit there and, and we use this because we try to trivialize it just a little bit and make it easier for everybody to understand. And we say, if the moon is overhead and you can see it in the sky, then by all means, don't climb out of your tree stand. You've got to sit there because at some point they're going to move. When that moon finally does set or if it's rising, those deer are going to be up on their feet and they're going to be moving. It can take a little while. You may sit there two, three, four hours before you see that movement where the alignment that you're talking about is directly overhead or directly beneath, you know, underfoot. And uh, that alignment, you see all these deer move at the same time and you wonder why. Uh, more often than not, it's because of that, that moon aligning. And, and we see that quite frequently. I don't know if a lot of people put much stock or much faith in it, but it certainly does have a uh, positive effect as far as the deer activity deer up on their feet and moving during daylight hours. Interesting. So here's something that I'm sure you have had to do many times and you're probably sick of doing it, but I'm going to ask you to maybe give us like a really, really short cliff notes version, just in case somebody doesn't know what we've been talking about this whole time, the phases. Um, so just in case people aren't familiar with the phases, can you give us like a really quick rundown or, or maybe an abbreviated idea just so somebody new kind of gets an idea of, of what we're talking about when it comes to how deer behavior changes throughout the season? Are, are you referring to so that I understand the question correctly? Are you wanting me to go phase by phase? Is that what you're wanting to if, just if, if you can off the top of your head, or maybe just a shortened version of it, like, you know, basically one through three, we're seeing X, four through seven is the kind of thing. Just maybe so we can um, just bring a few people up to speed if they don't know what in the world these phases are at all. This is a good test, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's no way I can do that off the top of my head, but I, I was a Boy Scout, so I became very prepared. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this. <laughs> yeah, very and... Good. and you know, again, I want to start by saying this is not the final word. You know, people try to make it black and white. It's not. It's very, very gray, this area of, of predicting these phases. And, and this is from 40 to 50 years of observation and Mark and I getting our heads together and comparing notes on a daily basis, sometimes two and three times a day, saying, what do you see move today? What do you see and move? What time did they move? How many did you see move? Did you see any rack bucks? What were the does doing? Blah, blah, blah. So, this was many, many years of, of uh, a lot of brain trust right here. And Matt was really the one that kind of said, hey, why don't we bring this to light? And we did. We brought it, brought it to fruition. But it does change slightly from latitude and longitude. Uh, it changes slightly with firearm seasons, how they affect deer movement. But for the most part, it is a tool. And whitetail hunting is about stacking the odds. And we do that on a regular basis. It's one big, gigantic chess match. Some days you win, some days you lose. Uh, checkmate is the most fun. You know, you can harvest a big deer, and these 13 phases help you by all means. But we'll start out by saying, you know, we call it a new beginning. Obviously, you know, when you say a new beginning, what's happening? That's a really tough time to hunt. You know, thermals are a big, big influence that time of year. A lot of times in the evenings, it's hot. You don't want to go. You're sweating. 
So, you know, you're emitting a tremendous amount of scent. So scent control is a big, big deal that time of year. But they're on green food source. Typically that time of year, if you've got some uh, green soybeans or you've got some really nice looking clover plus or you've got something else, uh, an alternate food source, it's a good place to be and it's a good time to harvest a big deer. The second phase, greener pastures. You know, they start in that first phase, then they stay on green. They, they really, really do hit that green because at that time of the year, and I'm talking dates of, say, September through late part of September into the first two weeks of October, when bean fields start to uh, turn and defoliate, you know, and a lot of things turn that time of year. You're starting to see some things really start to change colors, and you may not be in an area where there's a lot of tillable. We're fortunate or blessed in the fact that we're here in the Midwest where there is a lot of tillable fields, so there's always something that's turning brown that time of year. And Mark and I talk about green-to-green transfer all the time. We're going to give them an alternative food source, no matter where you're at. If you've got a green food source that time of year, it's always productive. All right, then we get into phase three, that October lull. That's what we're falling into right now, and and, uh, I really, truly believe that our lull started a few days ago. You know, we monitor this on a really, really regular basis because we hunt each and every day, and we've done it for the last 25 or 30 years, so all of a sudden you start looking at your notes from 10 years ago and you say, you know what, this is pretty consistent. And that's exactly what's happened over over the last number of years. We've recognized that the October lull in the Midwest is is about as boring as it gets. And what's funny is when they go into that October lull, they still have that the smaller neck. They're a little bit sagging as far as the skin and, and some of those other things that are indicative of a whitetail coming out of a summer pattern. They come out of the October lull their necks swole up, they, you know, they look a little bit different. They're all of a sudden starting to put on that winter coat. So it's a tremendous phase where you don't see much buck activity. And then all of a sudden, boom, you get into the pre-lock and you got these giants running all over, big racks. All of a sudden they look a little different. They got different posture. They'll lay ears back when they see another deer. It's a fun, fun time to hunt. Uh, you, you go through the pre-lock and then all of a sudden you get into high anticipation. You know, this this phase is from November the 2nd through November the 5th here in our area in the Midwest. And uh, all of a sudden, these deer are starting to move. You know, they're expanding those home core areas where they're starting to go a little bit further in the range. And they're looking for that first available estrus doe. They're doing that in the pre-lock as well as high anticipation. Those two phases, those whitetails are really, really up and looking. And oddly enough, the oldest bucks, the most mature bucks, always somehow sniff out those first available estrus does. It's interesting. They, they, they do it on a, a really regimented basis uh, where they don't run onto the field. They just do it on a repetitive basis. They may stay up a little bit later at night. They go a little bit later to bed. Their, their home core area starts to widen and get a little bit bigger. But all of a sudden, when the lockdown phase hits, those first available estrus does are with the most mature bucks in your area. And that's exactly what happens. We see a little phase just prior to that that we call buck parade. You know, that buck parade is when they all get up on their feet. And it's not uncommon to see two and three and a half year old deer, a year and a halves, you know, just looking. All of them are out looking. And that period is short as well. It's the 6th through the 10th here in the Midwest. You know, November the 6th through the November the 10th, you're going to see a lot of bucks up on their feet looking, just trying to find those available estrus does. Then you get into that lockdown phase. And that one's the one that is a killer. The 11th through the 15th of November here in the Midwest, and that can slide a day or two a little bit. But that period, is, uh, it's, it's tough because you've had a little bit of a, a, a you know, kind of a 
encouraging moment where you've seen all these bucks up on their feet and looking. And then all of a sudden, all you start seeing are immature bucks, year and a half, two and a half, and maybe a few three-year-olds still looking for available estrus does, and those mature deer are locked down. And typically those periods may last four, five, sometimes six days where you don't see, you just don't see a good rack buck and you're wondering why. You're sitting there scratching your head. Okay, I've got him on trail cameras. Why can't I find him right now? My reconic says he should be here and yet I can't find him. Well, a lot of times they'll take him out into a remote area, a really, really odd place at the, you know, maybe at the head of a draw or, or out in a ditch or somewhere where you would least expect it where they're locked down with a doe and they won't let her, they won't just won't turn her loose until that breeding cycle is completed and the doe is receptive. All right, then we get into phase eight, which is desperately seeking. You know, that's one of the phases that we enjoy the most because they have had those first available estrus does and they're on to that second cycle looking for the next available estrus doe. And uh, it becomes somewhat of a frantic movement. It's a short little window. You know, we got it shown here 16th through the 19th. So you're only looking at about a three day period but man, is it a productive time to be in the timber when they've, they've finished with that first round and they're looking for that second round. Uh, you can find a lot of big deer up on their feet and looking. You just have to be in the timber to, to see it happening. All right. Once that hits, here's another phase that becomes extremely tough to hunt called a party's over. You know, November the 20th through the 25th, it just dies. You know, all of a sudden you're sitting there scratching your head like, okay, I just saw a tremendous number of deer up on their feet looking where did they go? Man, it ends. It's like a light switch event. It happens each and every year. It took us many years to recognize it, but Mark and I compared notes for a long, long time and said, it just died. It literally just ended. You know, it's almost a recharge your battery type phase where they lay down, they're wore out. They've been running and looking for a month, month and a half, whatever it may be, and their batteries are just draining. All right, that's a tough phase. All right, then phase 10, we get into green revisited. All of a sudden, we start seeing these deer coming back onto a green food source. Oftentimes, it may be a volunteer green food source, some type of trefoil or something that you might see out in the middle of a CRP field or, or maybe some switchgrass that you've got planted. But it's that new growth, those little bitty shoots where they're requiring moisture. Uh, it's pulling a lot of minerals out of the soil. It's highly palatable, but it's a, a small green food source that, that is new growth or regrowth and they're on it like you can't imagine. So that's a really, really good time to kill a big mature deer because their batteries are drained. They're not worried so much about breeding and running and, and going. They're worried about replenishing and refurbishing that, that drained battery. And that's exactly what happens in that, in that green revisited phase. We really like hunting in that period. All right. Then all of a sudden, phase 11, waiting on a front. We typically will be getting some cold fronts that time of the year. You know, it may be a major, major snow event. It might be snow, it might be uh, sleet. Any of those raid events are really, really good if you have a food source available to go to. And if you've got some available food, whether it's standing corn, standing soybeans, a beautiful, lush biologic field, by all means, stay on that food because uh, if there's a huge front, there's going to be deer come to that food source. So waiting on a front is really, really one of our productive phases if you get it through that period. Then last but not least, Feedback phase 12. Here we are getting late, late in the season, December the 9th through the 21st, just prior to Christmas holidays there. Always a good time to go in and harvest a big, big whitetail because food is number one that time of year. 
you really want to have available food source. It might be a mass crop. You know, you may have white oak acorns that are that are just littered all over the ground. Then don't overlook those. It might be chestnuts. It could be any type of mass crop that is still available at that that end or that period, the ending that right before Christmas. Great time to be on top of food right there. All right. Then the grand finale. Here's where it gets really, really tough. You know, the season's winding down. You know, things are, are slowing down. Your body's about as run down as theirs are. And uh, food is still important. But uh, you're just hoping and praying that you're going to see a big deer and you try to bop one before the season ends. Food is still a really, really important factor. So those are the 13 phases. I don't know if that helps you or if it confuses you. I hope it helped just a little bit. We ran down through as quickly as possible. But uh, we live and die by them and have found that that hunting these phases has been extremely productive for us. And again, this was 40 or 50 years of, of uh, comparing notes and keeping some really, really meticulous notes. And, and even our reconnaissance cameras, I can't tell you how much those have helped us, Mark, over the years as far as formulating movement along with moon phase, uh, waxing, waning, rising, setting, how our cameras light up in those full moons along with temperature. It's just, uh, it's been extremely productive for us as far as trying to come up with 13 different phases. Well, I got to say, you must have been a well-badged Boy Scout because you did very well with that. So uh, <laughs> that, was, that was super helpful. Well, Mark and Matt, along with several of my nephew, nephews, have all made Eagle. One of the, uh, maybe the, Worst things that I have never done. My biggest regret in life, I'll put it that way, was not finishing and becoming an Eagle Scout. I can't say how proud I am to have as many Eagle Scouts as we are in our family, but Mark and Matt are both Eagle Scouts. Pretty pretty uh, big accomplishment in life. <laughs> Good job, I Matt. I wish I had finished. I chose football and track, which look, was look, not a very good choice. Look where that got you. <laughs> <laughs> well, um... That's super helpful, and I think for people that that aren't familiar with you know how deer activity changes throughout the year, um, I think placing putting together a tool like that these phases is really is a, is a great way people kind of wrap their heads around what this kind of roller coaster of activity you know what that looks like. So, and one of the things though too, Mark, we, we you know we get uh, see a lot of comments, especially on social media. You know, hey, you know these guys, it's you know they're their unpressured land and you know these phases would resonate just about anywhere it's just you can't you can't control the outside influences though yes you know so what what mark and terry have done and they've formulated this this idea of these phases and tactics based on yes mostly unpressured property but you know they can go to an 80 acre lease or a 100 acre lease and still put these same tactics to work what you can't control are those outside influences dogs and neighbors and poachers and you know what i mean weather you know yeah. so uh, it's just a matter of taking something and trying to get like you said give yourself a game plan going into and try to you know give yourself one little edge and sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and you're absolutely right. You know, what Mark and Terry are seeing in Missouri or Iowa, sure, it might be different than what I have going on here in Michigan, for instance, when gun season opens, as, as Terry alluded to there as well. When that happens on November 15th, you know, all bets are off. But, um, but yeah, take this as a starting point and then think about all the different factors you have present where you're at, whether it be hunting pressure, et cetera, et cetera. And then you can adjust things. You can think about how all those all those different factors might influence these phases, but it's, it's a great place to start and then work your way from there. And, um, 
I guess my only final question for you, Terry, if we have a couple more minutes here, would just be: is there is there any kind of advice as far as tips or, or tactics you could share with us for the for the phases coming up in the next couple of weeks? Maybe you know the end of the October lull or pre-lock. You know, as we're getting here and in, in towards mid to late October, anything you'd recommend that you know that we, our listeners or viewers, should be doing or thinking about? Yeah, I, I uh, you know, like I said early on, we hunted this morning, and uh, we got skunked to a certain extent. So no matter how many years you've been hunting, and no matter how good you think you are, Mother Nature always has a way of straightening you out and saying, you know what, you don't know near as much as you think you do. And that's exactly what happens on a regular basis. Again, this is all not black and white. It's very, very gray. So the the best tips I can give for these particular phases this October lull is a hard time to hunt, and particularly if you're hunting in a timbered region and you have a, a very, very vast mass crop. A deer can literally stand up, he can nibble on acorns for an hour, hour and a half, two hours, and lay right back down. If you're in a drought area, which we've seen a ton of that this year, a lot of really, really dry areas, that water source is so important. They may eat, and they may bed in one area, but they still got to go to water. Uh, best tip I can give if you're in a drought area is try and hunt a water source. We've had some uh, some much needed rain here of late. So all of those pond sets that we were planning on hunting because of the drought, we were watering here just a few weeks ago trying to keep our food plots alive. Mm. And now we've had uh, three inches of rain here in the last two rain events. So all of those, you know, those pond sets that we were planning on sitting kind of come out of that. They just we left them now. We're not planning on sitting them. You know, until it dries back out, we may go back after them again, but it has changed our strategy. So stay diverse. Uh, keep an eye on those phases. But if you're in a dry area, I would hunt water source and I would look at those mass crops. You know, if you've got some white oak trees, some big, big, uh, you know, vast areas of, of white oak timber, there's a lot of deer in the timber right now hitting those hitting those acorns. Acorns, are number one food source. Uh, never overlook them. I know a lot of guys hunt chestnuts and a few other uh, mass crop, you know, where they have an, or an indigenous to their areas. So keep an eye on those. They're very productive this time of year. Be careful how you go in and out. Sometimes you can do more harm than good. Try not to penetrate and intrude too far. I think one thing to add, you know, right now would be don't waste your time. You know, is one of those tactics that is in the October lull as I was hunting last night and we saw seven deer, you know, it was okay. It was better than I thought it would be, but I kind of, I looked at those tactics again and I thought, you know what, <clears throat> you know, we're going into this bad part of the moon, the dark of the moon, and it's the October lull and it's going to heat up a little bit. You know, I'm so excited to be out on the farm and to go hunting. You know, I kind of have to pull myself back and say, all right, you know, the best is yet to come. Don't waste your time. So um, I'll probably still hunt like a, a, a major, you know, cold front comes through. I think we get another good drop on Monday. Uh, here where I'm hunting, but outside of that, I don't think I'm going to waste my time until that last week of October, you know, when the moon's right, you know, things should be good. And all you need is a little cooperation with some decent cooler temperatures and it should get really good. Fingers you crossed. I'm off or yeah, I got to ask for time off. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you get it, Matt. I really do. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> More than anything, it's not so much asking for time off from work. It's time off from the home. <laughs> it's, hey. it's getting, you know, that permission slip is a little harder <laughs> than yeah. asking Terry. Yeah, I, uh, 
I'm a little worried about how that might change things for me here next year. We haven't talked about it on the 100% Wild podcast yet, but uh, but yeah, I'll be coming. A, I'll be becoming a family man next year. Congratulations, buddy! That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, exciting new adventure. And it changes things. Let me tell you. <laughs> That's what they say. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed that caribou hunt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did. Well, um. I guess on that note, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed not only for your hunting this year, but mine next year. And uh, unless you have anything else to add, I think we probably need to wrap this one up. I do not. Good, guys. I just want to tell everybody to be safe. You know, this time of year, everybody's pretty aggressive, very assertive, ready to get in a tree and ready to harvest a deer. But I just want to make sure everybody's wearing those safety harnesses. Uh, just approach it in a safe, safe manner. We want to make sure that everybody gets to hunt each and every year. Very true. Thank you very much for sharing that, Terry, and for being with us. It's always great when you're on the show. We always enjoy it. So uh, good luck the rest of your season, too. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you having me. All right. Well, our quick last updates for everybody listening or watching. If you'd like to submit your own question for a future episode, you can go to wiredtohunt.com slash 100% wild. And uh, you can follow along with everything that I've personally got going on over at Wired to Hunt as well, across all social media, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Matt, what do you got? Yeah, same here. If you'd like to follow along with Drury Outdoors, as as always, you can go to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Drury Outdoors. Uh, but, but I think most importantly for us, uh, it, YouTube right now we're putting in, I've been kind of sending this message home, uh, on all of our podcasts, but man, we really are amping it up over there. We got a lot of original content. We just launched for the first time ever, uh, our show, uh, Winchester and Drury's natural born. It airs on pursuit and it's usually a, a brand new episode start airing the first quarter of the new year. Well, this year we did something different and we completely retrofitted the show. It's a new look and a, a new approach and we are making it far the YouTube channel for digital first and it's a digital cut. So there's like a 10, 12 minute cut that goes on our YouTube channel every Monday. And then come next January, it'll start airing in its full, you know, a few more segments, a Turkey hunt, you know, a Winchester tip, all that will air in that version on pursuit channel starting in January. So cool. it's really cool. exciting. It's all original hunts. Like these are hunts that happened last fall from our Drury outdoors team. It's kind of like the old DVDs, but now it's divided into 13 episodes. It started this past Monday and we're going to run one every Monday from here to the end of the year. Uh, and it's two, uh, two, uh, whitetail hunts and they've never been seen before. So I think, um, I think everybody will really enjoy that. So I, I'm putting a lot of emphasis on it, but it's something new for us. We're really excited about it. So by all means, check that out. That's awesome. I saw that first one just the other day. It looks very good so far. So I guess on that note, Thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. Good luck out there. Peace. Thanks, guys. See ya.